0: Don't wait. Visit sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. sonobello.com slash save. Thank you. You're welcome, sweetie. Have a good day.
2: The demand for healthcare professionals who deliver both comfort and critical care is growing.
0: FindNursingSchools.com connected me with an accelerated bachelor's of nursing degree program in my area with
3: expanded capacity so I could complete the program in 16 months. Now I'm on the path to an in-demand career that offers job stability, flexible schedules, competitive pay,
0: and the choice of where to work. Visit findnursingschools.com to begin your journey today.
3: Welcome to Mission Evolution Radio Show with Gwilda Wiacca.
2: Thank you for joining us on another exciting adventure into future possibilities. This is Mission Evolution, where we share innovative thoughts and information with today's leading experts, bringing evolutionary solutions to today's unique challenges. You, my treasured audience, are a very important part of this discussion. Email info at missionevolution.org with any comments or questions. We'll address them on the very next show. So take notes, sit back, and enjoy. This hour will explore finding your bliss, care and maintenance of the human brain. I was at the gym the other day, rehabbing from a recent injury and remembered my physical therapist saying, you're going to get out of your body what you put into it. If you don't take affirmative, consistent action and develop an exercise routine, you could expect to be permanently impaired. However, if you do take the time and effort, you can easily be in better shape than you were before your accident. This got me to thinking. If that's the case with our bodies, what about our brains? Life is full of bumps and bruises and traumas, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. Many of us spend much time and effort, money, on our physical appearance and shape, but what about our mental and emotional well being? If left to its own devices, does it deteriorate just like our bodies? If so, What protocols can we set up to condition our minds and emotions into positive evolutionary thinking and feeling? How can we evolve mentally rather than slowly sinking into neurological ruts that lead nowhere nice and to nothing new? With us this hour to discuss these options is Dr. Dawson Church. Dr. Church is an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books to his credit, The Genie in Your Genes, Mind to Matter, and his latest Bliss Brain. Dawson has conducted dozens of clinical trials and founded the National Institute for Integrative Healthcare to promote groundbreaking new treatments. Its largest program is the Veterans Stress Project. It's offered free treatment to over twenty thousand veterans with PTSD over the past decade. His website: www.blissbrain.com. Dr. Church, thanks for joining us on Mission Evolution.
3: Gwilda, it is such a pleasure to be here again, and I love your mission and what you're doing in the world, too.
2: Oh, thank you so much. So give us your educational background so we know where we're coming
3: from. I went to this really demanding university called the school of hard knocks <laughs> and many of us have been there and uh, so i went to the usual i went to, went to a university uh, it's called baylor university in waco texas and uh later graduated from holos university i was mentored by dr norm shealy who's a harvard trained neurosurgeon and norm is one of those remarkable geniuses in medicine He actually founded the American Holistic Medical Association and with me did several important projects. And then I went on to found the National Institute of Integrative Healthcare. And at NIIH, we do lineage research, both psychological and biological research. And I also, in that capacity, mentor graduate students who are doing uh, early-stage research, late-stage research, postdoctoral research, and so on. And it's been a real process not just of learning how to do science and be in that field but also in overcoming personal adversity when i was young i had a pretty miserable time growing up i was really depressed and suicidal as a teenager i looked for alternatives to that and my real education was spending time with people who were really authentic in their hearts and and happy i was fortunate to meet several of them in my 20s and really decided to model myself on them, learn what they learned. So I learned the perennial philosophy behind all the world's great religions. I learned meditation, I learned hands-on healing, And bit by bit, that really moved the needle for me. And so today, when I look at people who are struggling in the school of hard knocks and who are still there, who are still really bumping along and suffering, my heart goes out to them. And a lot of my both research career and humanitarian work, like the Veterans Stress Project, we're trying to put in the hands of people who are suffering the tools that we know Can shift their suffering. And we know that empirically, we know from research trials, these things really work to release anxiety, depression, physical ailments like pain, and also PTSD. So that's sort of a quick trajectory of what I'm up to
2: there's a lot of suffering going on right now. Um, you know, we're we're in pretty traumatic times, I think, um, as a culture and as a planet, for that matter. So how beautiful to, to start looking for provisions to help us. We can't necessarily change what's going on, but we can change our response to it. So how did you, a lot of your books and uh, your work is more holistic in nature. What drew you in that direction?
3: I saw miracles when i was very young and when i i first went to live on a spiritual community when i was 15 years old and i literally saw people do healing touch and i saw wounds close up and i saw pain go away uh i saw physical healings that were just startling and striking and so that really made me aware of the, the power of these methods but at that time this is back in the 60s and 70s these kinds of approaches were called alternative medicine and alternative is a swear word (laughs) to call something alternative medicine means it's not real medicine it's not what you want to go to when you have a, a real disease like heart failure or diabetes or cancer you want real medicine for those things and so maybe you'll go get a massage or a little bit of healing touch for one of your problems that's alternative medicine and the amazing thing now is that with modern research tools like MRIs, like EEGs, like gene assays, we we can literally tell which genes in your cells are turned on and off. We're now subjecting these, quote-unquote, alternative medicine methods. We're subjecting them to empirical research. We're measuring how much they reduce pain, reduce anxiety, reduce depression, reduce activation of the suffering parts of the brain, and also increase things like happiness and boost the compassionate and altruistic parts of the brain. And these studies are now showing that what we used to think of, of as alternative medicine produces often produces massive change in the body and the psyche. Just two examples. One study showed that on average, acupressure and affirmations, EFT, emotional freedom techniques, tapping on acupuncture points, produces a 68% reduction in pain. This was a large-scale study. There are now 20 studies that have replicated that in one way or another, and we now know that if you just use acupressure, roughly two-thirds of your pain goes away. So when you compare that to, say, opioids, (laughs) to use the current culprit in the medical uh, in, the, in the medical field, and you say, wow, I could just be stimulating my acupressure points, you going to get two thirds reduction in pain. You really have to think twice about whether this is alternative or th- this is mainstream or should be.
2: So, um, how long, how old is uh, acupressure and acupuncture?
3: In my book, The Genie in Your Genes, I first argued it was 2,000 years old because the oldest Chinese scrolls. Uh, date from about 2100 uh, or thereabouts years back but then in 19 in the 1990s a uh, mummy was discovered frozen in a glacier on the border of Austria and Italy so this is in Europe central Europe and that mummy that man that had died and been entombed in the ice for uh, many thousands of years had markings on his body tattoos at the very places, the very acupuncture points where he would have been stimulated for the diseases from which he suffered. And Otzi is his name. It's called Otzi because that's where he, where he was discovered in the town of Otzi. Otzi is 6,000 years old. So acupuncture was known about in Europe 6,000 years ago. It may go back to much older times, 100,000 years ago or more. We realized that stimulating these points was effective. So it's been known for both in Europe and in the Orient for thousands of years.
2: Just amazing, isn't it? And, and it's like, if it's been around that long, there's got to be something to it. Because if things <laughs> don't work, they die off by, a, they just die a natural death,
3: right? That's right.
2: So does repeated trauma cause us to systematically shut down mentally and emotionally?
3: Repeated trauma, and especially repeated trauma when we're young, has dire effects on the body. In one of my research projects, I looked at the effects of sexual abuse on the hormones of women. These were women who'd been abused when they were girls, and their average age of the onset of puberty was two years early. Their cortisol levels were really dysregulated. They so would, would, you get, mind,
2: would you mind backing up just a little and tell us what's cortisol, what's it do?
3: Oh, cortisol is your, your master hormone for stress. When you get stressed, when you get anxious, angry, any kind of negative emotion produces cortisol, as does actual threats to your survival. And your body can't tell the difference between a tiger in the room and the paper tiger in your mind. It produces cortisol in response to both things. So if you're faced with, say, for example, a, a drunk driver on the road, you'll produce cortisol, get out of the way and that gene turns on within a second or two. So those genes that produce stress hormones turn on quickly, that's how our ancestors survived. These are called immediate early genes, and they reach peak expression in three seconds or less. So cortisol is gonna turn on all of these other fight or flight responses all over your body. And so that's absolutely wonderful when there's a drunk driver Every three years, you need a cortisol surge to escape from a mugger in Central Park, whatever it might be, but you don't need it the rest of the time. And yet, most of us have chronically high cortisol because we're worried about not the mugger, not the tiger. There's nothing actually threatening our existence. We're worried about the report that's due in my boss's inbox, and now I'm 24 hours from it being due, and I haven't written the report yet. We're worried about our conflict with our teenage son. We're worried about our parent who is has advanced Alzheimer's. We're worried about all, all these other things, so and it we're sounds, driving our own cortisol sky high with those it so- worries.
2: It sounds like we um, we don't have a governor for that. In other words, you know, a report being due is not life-threatening. However, we respond as if it is.
3: Yeah, we do. Your body can't tell the difference, and it was, in fact, only the fact you had a good cortisol response, a fast cortisol response that kept you alive 100,000 years ago. And then over 100,000 years, evolution has actually refined our ability to get stressed. So now we get stressed really, really, really fast. And now, of course, it's not good for us at all. So we don't have a regulator. In fact, we have just the opposite. We have all these ways of boosting the fight-or-flight response. One neuroscientist said to me, Dawson, 70% of all the tissue in the brain is geared to responding to threats so we don't have a governor we in fact have ways of amplifying and boosting our attention to threats if you if you pick up a a cup builder and take a look at a teacup and has a crack in it you notice the crack right away you don't see the fact that 99.9 percent of the cup is fine all your eye is drawn to is the crack that's how we amplify threats
2: so if we've had threats growing up they stay with us, and then we're triggered into that past trauma by day-to-day events?
3: Yeah, and so those women had these dysregulated cortisol. They had dysregulated menstrual cycles. They had all kinds of, of biochemical events going on in their body triggered by early life stress, and so um, stress... That's so helpful and adaptive when we have a real-life bad situation, when we have an imaginary bad one, we're just worried about something that's not real. Even worrying about the economy, you can't change the economy, so why worry about it? I mean, it may not be good, but can you fix it? You can't change the government, you can't change the corporations, you can't ch- I'll tell you one secret, Gild. I'm sure you've never heard this before. Well, you actually, change your own children.
2: Hold hold, hold that thought of that <laughs> secret because we are going to have to go into a commercial break. We'll pick up with the secret on the other side of this commercial Good. break. Dawson and I will return shortly, so don't go away. This is Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xadbn.net, and the Exxon TV channel, Channel. Could
0: could family.
2: Hello again, this is Mission Evolution, missionevolution.org, dedicated to unification and evolution of consciousness. To our faithful and thoughtful audience, we really value your opinion and would love to hear from you. What do you think about achieving bliss? This in from a member of our audience regarding the episode entitled, Evolution Through Sacred Geometry. L.A. states, I found the topic fascinating and I ended up getting a lot out of the episode But if not for your follow-up questions and the clarifications, your guests would have had me totally lost. Thank you for being such an excellent host. Thanks for your vote of confidence, L.A. When it comes to relaying some of these concepts, it indeed takes a try. Curious, dear audience? Visit our archives at missionevolution.org, listen to the episode entitled Evolution Through Sacred Geometry, and let us know what you think. Email me at info at org and give me your thoughts or questions so we can all share them on the next show. With us this hour discussing Achieving Bliss is Dr. Dawson Church. His website, www.blissbrain.com. We were just about to go into a secret, so tell me your secret.
3: <laughs> I was about to tell you you can't change your wife or your husband or your kids or your parents. You can't change people, and so worrying about those things that you have no control over is driving your cortisol up, and high cortisol over time results in decreased skin elasticity, which means more wrinkles. It means decreased muscle mass, decreased bone mass, and all of the signs of increased aging. So you're literally aging your body if you have high cortisol, and research shows that on average, optimists, people who are positive in their mental framing, live Ten years longer than pessimists. So having all of these these paper tigers in your mind is ultimately fatal.
2: So it sounds like we are living in a time machine on two two from two ed- edges here. One is we're living in our past trauma, which keeps us in stress. Two is we're um, in stress, and so we experience stress rather than what's really going on in the moment.
3: Absolutely, and just that as that ability of the mind to focus on the crack in the teacup is so valuable to us when it meant your ancestors had to notice the snake in the grass. Just the same way, you're focused on the negative things going on right now at every moment, and you're missing the good stuff. And think about it, too, that the other opposite end of the spectrum is also true to your ancestors. There was no evolutionary value in noticing the beautiful sunset, the gorgeous blooming roses, the sound of the children singing. There is absolutely nothing in the brain that, that, that orients us to the good stuff. So we have to work hard at reorienting our attention and focusing deliberately on all the good things and bringing them into our lives.
2: We tend to catastrophize, don't we? So it's like, we'll take benign events and then create this story around them based on our history. And what does that do to our cortisol?
3: It drives your cortisol high, and then you keep repeating that history over and over and over again. And that's one of the pernicious things about the brain, is it's good at learning. And a learning brain is what distinguishes us from other animals and makes us so special as a species. So we could learn to make fire. We could learn to chip rocks and make flints and make stone tools, do all kinds of amazing things down the evolutionary pathway but now we're often using that ability to pay attention, to pay attention to things that are upsetting us. And those are then making us crazy. And then the brain learns that after a while. So those neural bundles in the brain get bigger and stronger and faster. And so over time, we, as we express anger, as we experience anger, for example, one negative emotion, we become Better at getting angry and we become worse at being loving and compassionate. So the brain that this is the amazing thing though, Wilda, is that our brain is being remodeled by our mind, every single thought. I have an image in my book, This Brain, of two neurons, and they fire together, one's at one end of the screen, one's at the other. And in real time, under this imaging system of a scanning electron microscope, you see these two neurons literally reaching out and touching each other and interlocking and will the whole process takes only 12 seconds. So if I spend 12 seconds and I do smell the roses, and I take 12 seconds and I bury my face in my wife's hair and tell her I love her and I hold her for, for, for 12 seconds, I'm actually then building new neural pathways, new hardware in my brain around resilience, creativity and joy
2: and doesn't that put us in a different actually in a totally different part of the brain so the the stress throws us into our back brain where it's fight flight aggression and when you're smelling the roses or your wife's hair it puts you into the front brain where there's compassion love and logic is is am i erroneous there is that correct
3: yeah there are different parts of the brain that handle these in my book this brain i call them the enlightenment network and it has four sub-networks, which I won't get into here. But two of those sub-networks are compassion and attention. So those are all part of the enlightenment network. And then there's the default mode network. And that's the network that handles thinking about stressful events from the past and stressful possible outcomes in the future. And it's called the default mode network because our brain actually defaults to thinking about the bad stuff. So when we aren't doing anything, when we aren't doing a task, when our brain is idle, it grabs all that spare unused capacity and uses to obsess about the negative stuff in the past, and the negative stuff that might happen in the future. So these are the two networks of the brain, and they're totally separate. When you are in default mode network, you can't be in that happy, enlightened, loving, altruistic state. When you're in that state, you've shut down the default mode network, and then you're much happier as a, as a result. There's a, a wave we measure that accompanies this that indicates happiness and creativity, and it's called gamma. And what we see in MRI studies is that people's amount of that happy gamma wave increases by 700% when they are able to shift their brain's attention network. So we become literally seven times as happy.
2: So how much of our, I want to go into real history here, how much of our default into the um, protective part of our brain, the, the traumatizing part of our brain, how much of that do we inherit actually from our ancestors?
3: We inherit behaviors from our ancestors epigenetically. And so if your parents were stressed, then it's possible for one thing, for epigenetic tags to attach themselves to your genome and make you more likely to be stressed. For example, one study of Holocaust survivors found that the women who survived the Holocaust literally passed epigenetic tags onto their daughters and their grand-granddaughters. So the granddaughters, who were two generations removed from the Holocaust, had similar genetic tagging to their grandparents. So we are literally learning in our genes, and then, of course, we're learning through the behaviors and the, the vocabulary and the actions of our, our parents and grandparents, too. So we, we inherit a lot of this stuff, and then our job as adults is to learn to reduce our stress, to learn to meditate, to learn to do all the things we need to do to dig ourselves out of that hole.
2: So if we indeed dig ourselves out of that hole, this is where the, the Native American thought that uh, whatever you do think or say will follow your um, uh, lineage seven generations. So if that's the case, we can actually change what we pass on to our children.
3: We can and we do change what we pass on to our children, and we can clear it. i've actually tapped with a few of uh, tapping by the way is, is stimulation of acupressure points eFt emotional freedom techniques is pressure on those points, this this is what we use with veterans and others to release their stress but I've, I've tapped with several granddaughters of Holocaust survivors, and it 's just amazing. one woman especially she was had she had PTSD i mean she literally she scored positive. On the PTSD scale we used for research, and she sat there talking about her grandmother being in the Holocaust. And here, she never, she only heard the stories, and yet she was showing all the same symptoms of traumatization as her grandmother had. As we you know, tapped together, and I've, yeah. I've
2: actually heard um, and experienced people that were adopted, didn't even know their heritage, and were expect you know you know came from Jewish Jewish heritage. They at least found that much out, and were ex- you know exhibiting. The same trauma even though they never heard the stories and weren't brought up in the same
3: family wow so it's that's what's why, it's, why personal growth is important do you want to be carrying that epigenetic tagging with you your whole life long and then having a 10 year shorter life because of negative emotion or do you want to be releasing it and then opening up all the possibilities of your potential you can have if you, if you do let go that's why these techniques are just vital for every human being to learn
2: how, how long does it last? Do you have to continually do it? Like you talked about the, the mummy in the ice. He actually tattooed where he needs to be uh, stimulated. Um, is it a lifelong practice?
3: It is, but you work on different things. Like I worked with one young veteran who'd done four tours of duty in Iraq as a medic. And on his first tour of duty, one of the very first things he had to do, just shortly after he got to Iraq, one of his friends had been killed. And as a medic, one of his unpleasant jobs was to clean uniforms of deceased soldiers to send back to their families back in the U.S. And so he had this uniform full of blood, full of body fluids, and it smelled really bad. And so I was tapping with him on the memory. He was literally the uniform and the helmet smelled so bad he would have to go outside the medic hut, take a deep breath hyperventilate, run back inside, hold his breath, use the bleach cleaning fluid to clean the uniform, and then run back outside to breathe again because the, the the smell inside the hut was so terrible. So I tapped with him on this memory, and it was he was a 10 out of 10. He was so triggered by the memory to begin with. After about 20 minutes of tapping, he was fine down to a zero out of, out of 10. I ran into this young man about three months later, asked him about the helmet, and he said, I'm so glad I was the one who got picked for the duty of cleaning my friend's uniform and helmet because I now realize that he was doing his duty for his country. And I was the one who got to send it back to his family. So it it, for, for him, the framing became one of love and sacrifice and heroism, not one of tragedy. And so three months later, he was fine. In our randomized controlled trials, they show that even a year, Two years later, these veterans are still fine. So, absolutely, you deal with this stuff once, and it stays dealt with, and those PTSD symptoms do not return typically.
2: So then, you're able to live your life in a different way and start building different neurological pathways.
3: Absolutely, and your 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 friends notice it, your spou- the spouses notice it, and people around you notice it. they they realize how much you change. One uh, wife of a veteran said, "Thank you so much, Dawson." The stress project gave me my bill back again. I didn't have it between Vietnam when I, I got married before Vietnam. I didn't have it between Vietnam and now, and now it's back. It's like 40 years, years of absence after the war. Now it's back back here. So it changes families, and it, it makes a radical shift in people's futures.
2: And their longevity, apparently.
3: And their longevity, yeah.
2: Yes, yes. And it's, you know PTSD isn't restricted to soldiers in war. We all suffer from it, don't we?
3: Well, one of the surprising uh, findings comes from a Harvard project called the Still Face Project. And in this set of studies done by uh, a therapist called Eric Tronick at Harvard, he had mothers of six month old babies simply maintain a still face, a poker face, when they were interacting with their babies. So the babies were in high chairs, the mothers were about two feet away, and the mothers simply didn't respond and their faces were still they were trained to keep a poker face while the baby uh was was acting whatever whatever the baby was was acting and what happened is the babies became distressed and the babies became so dysregulated after a few months after a few uh, minutes of not getting emotional cueing from the mothers that they literally lost control of their automatic nervous system so it could be traumatic for a kid just to not have attention from a parent. So many of us weren't abused, but we may still have had a lack of attention or had neglect as kids, and that can leave lasting emotional scars.
2: And it's like we we grow up just thinking that's the way we are, don't we? I mean, because it's been the background noise all along.
3: You can change, and people can change radically. And we see them changing radically all the time. And it's so unfortunate I have a physician friend, a doctor friend, and she's been counseling people near the end of their, of their lives. And typically they're in COVID wards. And so there these people are dying of COVID and she's a doctor who has to go around and try and take care of them. And a lot of them die. And she says they die often with so much regret. And the regret (laughs) is not, Gilda, that they did not answer every last email. They do not regret not having watched every episode of Game of Thrones.
2: (laughs) We're going to have to go into regret, I'm sorry, on yet another uh, side of a commercial break. But it is time for that quick pause. Dawson and I will return to our discussion shortly, so you stay right there. This is Mission Evolution coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network www.xedbn.net and the Exxon TV Channel www.exonTVchannel.com.
1: What does it mean to invest? At Blackstone, investing is about more than just capital. It's backing visionary entrepreneurs and business leaders, accelerating the growth of their companies, even helping one achieve her mission of empowering women, supporting scientists discovering life-saving treatments by investing in research and building better labs, and helping companies reduce emissions to create a more sustainable future. At Blackstone, investing is about accelerating growth for good. Learn more at blackstone.com slash beyondreturns.
2: Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution. Did you know our entire leading-edge, information-packed past episode collection is available to listen or download with our compliments? Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. To find out more about me, Gwilda Wiecka, my school, and the evolutionary tools we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. Our guest this hour is Dr. Dawson Church. We're speaking about our power to reprogram our brain. His website, www.blissbrain.com. We were just about to go into regret and I think regret is a huge, huge, huge issue. And you were talking people that are, you know, on their deathbed with COVID and whatnot. And and you were saying what they did and didn't regret. Would you continue with that please?
3: Yeah, it is tragic to die in away like that. It's tragic to die with your life still unfinished. And what they regretted was not answering every last email. They did not regret the emails that were unanswered. They did not regret not having watched every last episode of Game of Thrones. They did not regret any of those things. They were at not loving more and not giving more love, not receiving more love. And I, what I wonder when I, I see people who are suffering is, when will you grab the tools available to you and shift so you can love more, so you can give yourself time to be with people you love, so you can feel more love in your heart, so you can have enjoy the creativity you deserve. So don't be one of those people who my doctor friend tells me is dying full of regret. Die having lived the fullest possible life you can. That life is beckoning to you every single day. Every single day you can make choices that bring you out of stress, bring your cortisol down, bring your happiness level up. And again, we're not talking about being a little happier here. The research in Bliss Brain shows that when we look at those brainwaves of these people who practice these stress reduction tools, they're seven times happier. Imagine being seven times as happy as you can be today. If you do that today, you will not be on your deathbed telling your doctor about how much you regret an unlived life.
2: You know, I have this morbid, uh, some people think of it as morbid exercise that I do. When I start feeling sorry for myself and getting overwhelmed, And I'll just stop and say, okay, Gwilda, you're dying tomorrow morning. (laughs) <laughs> now, what's really important? <laughs> what do you really want to to spend your time on? And it's amazing how it really reframes. It's not a morbid thing. It's just a reframing of what's really important. And are there tools that we can use like that, maybe a little less morbid than mine, um, that can help us do that?
3: Yeah, there are lots of tools. And now that we have these wonderful scientific measurements like MRIs and EEGs, we know which tools are effective. So in Bliss Brain, I sifted through about 400 studies, and I picked out the ones that show us which meditation techniques are effective. And the surprising thing was that I found that most meditation techniques actually were ineffective. And most of what people call meditation and are doing, like sitting with their eyes closed and trying to still their minds, is singularly ineffective, Wilda. But there are things that are really effective. Slowing your breathing down is important, is it effective. Being in hard coherence is effective. Grounding in nature is effective. And so you want to use these tools. And we find that people start to shift very quickly. In one study, the researchers found that 12 minutes a day of effective meditation was able to start changing the brain in only eight weeks. In a, in a randomized controlled trial I did myself with some colleagues, we found that four weeks Doing a special science based meditation 22 minutes a day, and only four weeks people's brains began to change. So we have the power to shift our brain function.
2: What do you mean, science based meditation?
3: A lot of meditation comes to us from ancient religions, ancient lore, and it's just people's best idea. Of what worked or what what worked for people in that tradition. It doesn't always work for everybody, and a lot of it doesn't even work. You know, what clothes you wear, I mean, the saffron robes and the prayer beads, they may be helpful in giving you a little bit of priming of some visual cues, but they don't do anything in terms of your meditative practice. So, um, science, when we put people in an MRI and actually measure their brains, then we see what's effective. One guy, for example, I tell this story in Bliss Brain, his name was Graham Phillips. He wanted to learn meditation, but he had a TV show called Catalyst. And so he brought his whole TV crew with him into a high-resolution imaging lab where the researchers measured the volume of every single part of his brain. He then began to meditate, spent eight weeks doing that. After eight weeks, they re-measured every single cluster of neurons in his whole brain, and they found that the emotional regulation network in his brain had grown by 22.8%. Now think about that. It's grown by a fifth. The number of neurons in those circuits has grown by a fifth, by one fifth, in only eight weeks. That is hardwired change in our brains. That is what makes us resilient.
2: So um, we have a lot of practices that are kind of meditative um, from ancient traditions like shamanism. It uses the imagination um, to enter into altered states of consciousness. Uh, We have prayer. Um, I've seen some amazing people that through their faith and through their prayer are able to really adapt very quickly to the loss of a loved one or this or that how do those compare and how can we use them
3: i would say use the ones that are effective for you in bliss brain i cover the seven styles of meditation and those are two of them there are others as well so 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 see which ones work for you the other thing we find from research is that the same one won't necessarily work for you forever. You may have really thrived doing qigong for a while. It may have been your moving meditation. And after a while, qigong isn't, isn't producing that same kind of brain change. Now it's time to move on to breath work. So
2: Why, why is that, and why, why, why do they wear out? Why do they have a shelf life?
3: Because our brains change. As that 22.8% increase in the neural regulation circuit uh, for regulating emotion uh, comes about in the person's brain, they now have good emotional regulation. Now, maybe they want to boost the happiness circuit, and maybe oh. it's going to be nature that does that for them or interaction with others or group meditation. So uh, so it's, it's like going yeah. to the gym and doing yep. an exercise for so long, and then you've built those particular muscles,
2: and so you have to up the ante, if you will.
3: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Okay, that makes sense that makes sense so let's go backwards a little bit when we talk about all these stress hormones that we're all flooded with all the time what's that doing with our ability to evolve
3: well if you stay stuck where you are and you have all those stress hormones you really are copying the evolutionary journey of your ancestors you're just being that stress state you're basically living in I call it caveman brain (laughs) And I says, oh, this brain, it's caveman brain. It's responsive to threats. It's the, the battle for survival. On Abraham Maslow's pyramid of needs, it's that survival base of the pyramid. You aren't moving up to the higher levels of the pyramid. And so that's where a lot of people are stuck in that survival level. You want to let go of that survival level. We don't need to be there anymore. And the threats we face today as modern humans are very, very different, and a lot of them are from our our own minds, our own thinking, our own habits, our own behaviors, our own beliefs, beliefs, core beliefs, our own worldviews. That's the real tiger right now that's lurking in the bushes ready to pounce, destroy our peace of mind, and and rob us of that long, happy, healthy life that we deserve. So those are the things we have to change at this point in, in evolution. And if we do that, Gwilda, we do evolve. I mean, we have this amazing ability to literally change our brains, that story about Graham Phillips changing the emotional regulation part of his brain, literally increasing it 22.8% in eight weeks. Think about that practice done for eight months and eight years and now you have this completely rewired brain you are a happy you're you're healthy you're balanced you're a kind you're an altruistic human being this is a very very different evolutionary pathway and you literally have changed your brain i mean i just can't say how how important and exciting this is we can literally shift the hardware inside our skulls and we can with our consciousness
2: what happens if we start doing that in mass, what happens is um, when we start doing it in numbers? Is there a different effect?
3: That is Chapter 7 of Bliss Brain, <laughs> and I look at the whole trajectory of human evolution in the future, and in, a, in, a, in 1980, about 4% of people in Western countries were meditating. By 2004, it was 4%, went from 1% to 4%. Last year, it was close to 20%. So we are doing this en masse. It is producing a whole different set of brains in those meditators, and these people are extraordinarily uh, effective in what they do. Research shows that their productivity increases by at least twofold. Their creativity goes up, and their problem-solving ability increases as well. So now you have these super-effective humans, and they're bringing all those things to their parenting, to their jobs, and their daily lives.
2: How can we start bringing this to our children so that they don't start start hit the ground uh, at a deficit as adults?
3: Modeling. Modeling is how kids learn. If we are just acting in this way ourselves, they will see us and they will tend to do it as well. So clearing your own trauma and then... So the two things have to happen here. You have to clear trauma. You can't aim for the mountaintop unless you've cleaned out the basement. So clearing out trauma is really effective with EFT. You want to do that first, but then you go explore your potential. What potential do you have? You have it expressed. And most of us, Gwilda, are living in a tiny little fraction of our potential. And what we see with people who clear trauma and then go on to learn these advanced meditation techniques is they, they change careers. They have healing abilities, they have insights. Research shows they have a lot of psi abilities, they have a lot of clairvoyance, telepathy, synchronicity, psychokinesis, all of these things start to happen. They have very, very different lives. It, and then those, those effects transmit themselves to their children as well. And it's just so, beautiful to see children raised and living that way.
2: So have do you have some scientific studies on the, the increase in our psychic abilities?
3: Yes. There was a giant meditation study published in 2019, which I talk about in Bliss Brain, and it showed that meditators have more of all of those things than non-meditators.
2: Amazing. So um, how do they measure them?
3: They use... Uh, Questionnaires where they have people report on the number that, that they have. And we're doing that now too with our advanced workshops. I teach, a lot of, I teach a lot of live workshops. I teach virtual workshops. We're now measuring this as well. And people are reporting just a higher instance, more synchronicities. Uh, for example, I have one support group that just focuses on only synchronicities. And people were reporting every month why well, two synchronicities? I had a meeting, a Zoom meeting with them yesterday. Some people are reporting forty synchronicities. <laughs> They're reporting money synchronicities as well. Some are reporting, you know, tens of thousands of dollars synchronously appearing in their lives. It's pretty crazy, Wilda. So let's let's back up again. And what's what's
2: the impact of synchronicities? Why why is that important?
3: When you're in tune with the universe and when you're in tune with yourself, this shows up as data in studies, and it shows up as data are big phenomena like the Earth's magnetic field. The Earth has a field, we can measure it. Uh, geologists measure the Earth's field, it fluctuates. And what we see in research of the daily fluctuations in the Earth's field, when we put that up against the heart rate variability, the heart rhythms of a meditator, we see the two match. A non-meditator, they don't match. But if you're in meditation, meditative states, then your internal biological rhythms actually match those of the universe and match those of of the Earth. And so when you're in the state of attunement with these big natural cycles, you're also in attunement with every single other human being who is likewise in attunement with them. That's why you have a thought about a friend you haven't seen for 10 years, and you get a phone call from them two seconds later, or why you need a piece of information. And there are thousands of pieces of of information out there, and the right one shows up in your email inbox a second before you require it. You're simply living this life in tune with nature. So this phenomenon is is measurable. It's now been measured in large-scale studies. It's been replicated, and you're just living a life that is synchronous with a synchronous universe.
2: So in other words, that allows you to be where you need to be, doing what you need to be doing to, to reach your
3: goals, to reach your intention? Yeah, you are, and you just surrender to the process. That's why my previous book is called Mind to Matter, not Mind over Matter. You're surrendering your local will, your local goals, to the great non-local mind, the great non-local consciousness we are all part of, and then you're synchronous with the movement and the activity in that non-local mind.
2: Well, it's time for another commercial break. On the other side, Dawson and I will talk more about synchronicity and how we can be in the flow. We need to take that commercial break, though. So Dawson and I will be back shortly to continue our discussion. So don't you go away. This is Mission Evolution, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net and on the Exxon TV channel, ww.exone Welcome back. This is Mission Evolution, bringing together gifted people of service to the world. I love to hear from our audience. Your thoughts are really important to me, so if you want to suggest a topic or a guest that you think would be of interest, email us at info at org. To find out more about me, Guldaweyeka, my school, and the other evolutionary things we offer, visit www.findyourpathhome.com. This hour, we're sharing thoughts with Dr. Dawson Church, His website, www.blissbrain.com. We were going into a very, very interesting subject, and I personally feel that this might be the huge key that we need right now to move to the next stage rather than getting stuck in the trauma that we've been going through for the past two years. And that's one of being able to join the unified field and follow synchronicities to your intended outcome. Would you speak a little bit more to that, please?
3: Yeah, I mentioned earlier that it's important to heal trauma. And then the other piece of the equation is when you're no longer being dragged down mentally, emotionally, and physically by nightmares, by insomnia, by flashbacks, by intrusive thoughts, all those characteristics of trauma. Once you're healed of that, you then want to pursue your highest as a human being, your highest potential. And so what is your highest potential and how do you how do you find that? You first of all you align. And I believe in aligning That every morning. It's really important to frame your day with alignment. And it's equally important not to frame your day with anything else. And I watch people sometimes, like in a men's group, we'll go away on retreats. I'll watch guys wake up in the morning and they'll pick up their phone and look at their phone. Do not do that. Please, I beg you, do not look at look at your phone first thing in the morning because now you're suggestible. Now you're framing your day with something and you're going to get bad news from there. You're going to get distractions from there. Don't do that. So you want to start by framing your day for, with your potential, which means tuning in to what I call non-local mind. So you close your eyes, you meditate, you breathe. Again, I have simple instructions for meditations on blissbrain.com. You do that little technique. takes 15 minutes now you've released your obsession with your local reality, you've tuned into non-local mind, and the joy and the insight, the wisdom, the love that pours into your life from non-local mind is so vast, you're literally now in the mind of the universe and it is a beautiful mind. So you then are bringing all that down into your life and that becomes your local reality. You then, after you framed your day that way, you then move into your life and you're inspired. You're on fire with passion. You launch yourself into every day like a child at play. You're just full of lightness. Your energy is high, your energy is great. And then that's the kind of life you you co-create with that great non-local universe. So that's the kind of, of way that you want to start your day, frame your day, move into your day, live your day. Do you have a perfect life? Absolutely not. And I've had my fair share of problems and crack-ups and chapter one of Bliss Brain. is all about how my house burned down in two minutes in a California wildfire, and my wife and I just... Fled through the flames clutching our car keys and our phones and nothing else so uh, I mean you know do we we have perfect lives no we lost everything in 2017 in in the the wildfire we lost our office we lost all our possessions we lost uh, 22 people died within a few miles of us 5400 homes were burned was it easy Absolutely not. <laughs> it was not. I was. I it was. I mean, it, was a, it was just a a, a a year, a nightmare year. I would have an operation after that. We 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 went under financially. I mean, it was, it was it was not a good year. And during that year, I was meditating every single day, aligning myself not with all the distress in my local reality, but within the infinite love in my non-local reality. And I wrote a new book in that year called. Bliss brain. So you want to do that every day, and then regardless of all the stuff going on around you, you're resilient, you're happy, you're joyful, you're balanced, you're centered, and that's the kind of life you create in local reality all around you.
2: Well, you know, it, it seems like, um, well, it doesn't seem like in a lot of different studies, they'll they'll tell you that it's it's lovely to have a lovely life, but it's not. Um, It doesn't build resilience it doesn't build creativity it's the ups and the downs and the
3: embracing
2: of them and the transmuting of them that creates exceptional human beings would you speak to that a little bit and how this material can help you do that
3: there's a whole chapter in this brain on what's called post-traumatic growth and as a society our reporting news reporting is so focused on ptsd post-traumatic stress and this disorders, there's very little reporting on post-traumatic growth, but research shows that two-thirds of people who go through, like the wildfire, like war, like a devastating financial loss, or a devastating divorce, or the death of a child, or one of those those things that happens, two-thirds of people actually do well. They use that trauma as the fuel for growth, and so the option is there if you have the right tools, the right support, and so on, to go into post-traumatic growth and actually use that as a springboard for personal development. The option, of course, other option, is you sink down into repetitive negative thoughts, and then you develop post-traumatic stress disorder, which as you now remodel the brain for stress, becomes more stressed. And so the brains of people with PTSD change in, in, in a negative way over time, they get sicker, they age faster, they have more diseases, and they die earlier. So you seriously want to practice these things for your own well-being and health.
2: So this, this goes back to where you were saying that um, uh, the first step is to address the trauma.
3: Absolutely. First step is to address the trauma, then to look for the personal growth.
2: And you found the tapping techniques, the EMDR, that sort of thing, to be effective for that?
3: We are so blessed now, Wilda, that we're blessed as a human species. We have these techniques, all of these somatic techniques, like EFT, like EMDR. And the research shows that in six one-hour sessions, we can take somebody who's highly traumatized, who has flashbacks, has nightmares, has been having those for maybe 40 years, and in six one-hour sessions, only six hours, they're free of those symptoms. In our research, we show that 90% of veterans recover. 10% don't, but 90% do. So absolutely, we have these tools, and you can spend just those six hours and then escape from all of the effects of that psychological trauma in your life. And, and the fact and that at we have these therapies. Now, because society is changing, we now can nail PTSD, we can nail anxiety and depression. And my passion is to see these techniques in every hospital, in every clinic, in every school, in every prison, in every workplace. And that way, that's how we, we change the whole evolutionary future of humankind. It's, it sounds
2: to me like you're doing the studies that will uh, validate them being into the mainstream.
3: There are over a thousand acupuncture studies, there are over a hundred EFD studies, over a hundred EMDR studies, and uh, we got approved in 2017 by the Veterans Administration for use within the VA. So it's being used in Kaiser Permanente, we've been teaching classes in Cleveland Clinic and Johns Hopkins, we're bringing these techniques, and again, we talked earlier about alternative versus mainstream, and this is just not alternative or mainstream, it's good, it's great medicine.
2: And isn't that going to be our ultimate? Is um, The ultimate answer is in the blending of all the techniques versus this or that.
3: It is. It's in blending the techniques, applying the best one for people. We can now read the genetic profile and know which one is, is best for them. And then imagine a world for, free of PTSD. Like, I'm going to tell you, Wilder, here's a bold prediction. I expect in my lifetime, and I'm retirement age, but I expect in my lifetime to walk on a plane without going through a security screening, because no one would dream of injuring people in that way. It's just unnecessary anymore. So I I expect the world to change radically as we eradicate depression, anxiety, PTSD, and all these psychological ills that have plagued humankind for its whole history.
2: Well, aren't we creating that traumatic reality by our belief in our trauma?
3: Yeah, we we tend to recreate it generation after generation and reenact our old scripts. And so we're like doctors and nurses and public health officials were in 1905 or 1910, a century ago. And we just took typhoid, dysentery, cholera, all of these kinds of killers, polio. We, we just accepted that, you know, hey, the, the Spanish flu's around. It's going to kill more people in World War One That was just the norm for our, our grandparents. I mean, this wasn't very long ago. And then a few far-sighted public health officials said, you know, we're going to nail polio. We're going to nail cholera. We're going to nail typhoid fever. There was one woman actually in New York City who was the head of public health there who said, I'm going to nail typhoid in New York City. She said that uh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it now. She got, got colleagues to help her. Within ten years, it was gone. In the city, thirty-four other cities followed her lead. It was gone worldwide very, very quickly. That is what can happen. And now we talk about typhoid. I mean, no one even knows what typhoid is, or hardly anyone knows what polio is. That's where we. Well, that was a reality for our grandparents, and those diseases were eradicated very quickly. We're at the same moment now as a species when it comes to mental health, anxiety, depression, phobias, PTSD. We can cure. 9 out of 10 cases, and we're going to begin doing so on a wide scale. It's going to change the whole future course of human evolution to the point where our grandchildren will have no idea what anxiety, depression, or PTSD even are. There'll be nobody they know. Like, how, you know how many people do you know with typhoid like, or cholera? Nobody. In, by 2050, 2060, no one will know anybody with anxiety or depression. There's, those things just won't be around anymore like we cle- cleaned up infectious disease a century ago.
2: So if if indeed your vision comes true, um, that way we can uh, all, those that choose to participate and move forward, join into the synchronistic unified field, and our lives are kind of blessed. We have the the blueprint for where we need to go is right there. Yes,
3: it's right there, and then the whole human race will begin to act in harmony and in synchrony with each other. And that day is not not very far off. It, there are a lot of signs of it right now a lot of signs that people are moving this direction again that that graph one percent meditating in 1980, 2004, thousand four four percent now it's close to twenty percent so the graphs going going straight up there again having four times the problem solving ability twice the creativity of ordinary people they're applying all of that to global problems as well as personal problems this is going to produce radical radical innovation social change in the next while and at the end of this brain i i list a whole bunch of initiatives there's a carbon sequestration initiative going on right now that's sucking carbon out of the air and turning it into bricks which are used for building materials that's those these things aren't science fiction they're actually happening We're in the process of of doubling the number of trees on planet Earth. Trees are wonderful carbon sinks, double the number of trees on planet Earth, and we bring, we bring carbon levels down to, to pre-industrial revolution levels. These things are actually happening right now. People aren't aware of them, so at the end of, of this brain, I list them and show how our whole collective future is being changed by these brilliant minds who are meditating, coming up with these, these solutions and solving these complex social and global problems.
2: And it's amazing how many of them are young people, young, young
3: people, you know,
2: like 12, 13, 14 year old kids are coming up with these amazing things. Um, We're we're about out of time, but can you tell us, how can we tell if we're living our trauma and, and so we can initiate that change that you're suggesting when we start to
3: heal? Babies laugh several hundred times a day. Adults laugh about 16 times a day. How many times a day do you laugh? (laughs) How do you feel in your heart? How happy are you? What's your happiness score? Zero to 10, what is it like? How often do you worry relative to how often you smile? So assess yourself this way. We do that when we do studies and we can tell you how you're doing. You could be, again, that's what the research shows, seven times as happy as you are today. Bliss Brain has the tools that'll show you how and you want to be doing that assessment every day. Notice if you're getting sucked down into caveman brain. Are you doing that repetitive negative thinking that is depressing your energy and your spirits and pulling down your physical health? So be rigorous about loving yourself enough to meditate in the morning, turn off the social media, orient yourself to positive messages, frame your day in the perfect way, and then move into your whole day and the whole rest of your life that way and then again, you will have an effect on not only your own little local level of things, but everyone around you.
2: Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Dr. Dawson, thank you so much for coming on the show. And thank you so much for in the world. Our guest this hour has been Dr. Dawson Church, an award-winning science writer with three best-selling books, his latest, Bliss Brain. His website, www.blissbrain.com. Remember, our entire information-packed past episode collection is available for listen or download free of charge. Visit our archives at www.missionevolution.org for our ever-growing selection of guests and topics. This has been Mission Evolution with Golda Wiecka, coming to you on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xedbn.net and the Exxon TV channel, www.xxonetvchannel.com. Join us next time as this mission continues, bringing information, resources, and support.